And maybe it's just the rain that's pouring down outside, but we're all like ready to, I don't know, get hibernation mode type thing. So why don't you turn around, especially if this is your first time, but turn around and say hello to somebody, you know, just tell how much you, you love what they're wearing, you know, just uh, tell them your name. Obviously, if they're, they're relations to you as well, they're going to know that, but just, just tell them what you love about them, that you're glad that they've, they've got out of bed and that they're here this morning. and that you're glad that you are sitting beside them, okay? If you're not sitting beside someone, then you can move in closer as well, okay? So, uh, which is great, but you're all very, very welcome. If this is your first Sunday uh, in Journey Down, Patrick, you're, you're especially welcome. Uh, my name's Thomas. Oh, I'm still on. Uh, my name's Thomas, and I'm a site pastor here, so you're very welcome, and yeah, hopefully. Um, communion was, uh, we hadn't done communion all over, Summer, just because we had, uh, it was a crazy, pretty busy time as well. But I think it was just important to get, to get that in and, and to do that. And it's always a, always a special time as well. So um, you never want to rush those moments as well. So if you are just joining us, you weren't here last week, we just kicked off our new series, which is about changing your world, okay? And just so you do know, it's, it's not necessarily a, an outreach focus, although we have been doing that over the past number of months a lot. It's really, and particularly for, for this week, is it's a really about changing our inner world. It's really about changing something, seeing something change on the inside of us, but also something change in this group as a collective so that we can see more of the, the manifest power presence of God in our lives. Who here in this room wants to see more of the presence of God in their lives, right? Um, well, that's what we have access to, and that's especially what I love about doing communion. I mean, it's multifaceted in, in, its, you know, in its, its meaning, but really it's, a, you know, it's a, not only an act, but it's a, it's a declaration and, a, and something very powerful. Communion is you know, one of the sacraments, we, we don't have loads of sacraments in journey, but, you know, communion and, and marriage is, is a main, one of the main two, but for, for communion, it's not for me, and I, I mean, I was raised Catholic, and a lot of you have been raised different, uh, I guess, different, you know, churchmanships and so on, so communion will mean different things to you, but, but regardless of denomination, I have found that when we take communion, when we take in the body and the blood of Jesus, there is something very powerful, that his presence comes in, in ways that, you know, other, other necessarily ways or declarations or things that we go through in church don't may, maybe necessarily bring. And for me, that it crosses denominational lines, that, for, that is something that we want to we wanna cherish and hold and, and we get to have access to that. And, and last week, if you were with us, and even the week before actually, we've been really talking about this concept of, of what does it look like to, to minister to the Lord? What does it look like as, as a church body, as, as, you know, temples of not only individuals, temples of the Holy Spirit, but as, as a church body that is a temple of the Holy Spirit, what does it look like to create a dwelling place for God to come? And practically, what does that look like to make space for Him? Today, I really want to look at one of the things that I've began to notice, not only in my personal life, and maybe it's something that you'll be able to relate to, but something that I've noticed in the body of Christ that is a real good hindrance to the presence of God coming in a person's life. The, we know that God is everywhere. That's his omnipresence. But there's something about his manifest presence that scripture talks about that uh, I know a lot of us are hungry to see. So the, the main passage that we're going to be looking at is Matthew 5, 21 to 26. And you can turn there in your Bibles if you would like to. Some of it will come up on the screen. There's not a lot of scriptures today, so you'll not have to, to, to worry too much if you can't find it. And I encourage you, some of the things I say, do go away and, and study for yourself as well. Three of the most 
dangerous or toxic people that I've ever met in my life have been bitter. Three of the most dangerous and toxic people that I've met and encountered in my life are those who are easily offended. You see, ultimately, it's a life, it's a person that holds on to unforgiveness and holds on to a root of bitterness. I've never seen something with as much power or with as much ability to derail or to trap a person's life than the root of bitterness. I mean, I've come across a lot of things. I mean, I, I don't grow up, I haven't grown up in a sheltered uh, upbringing in my life, and I know a lot of you haven't either, but in my opinion, one of the, the greatest vices that I've saw, have witnessed in, in the life of not only Christians, but non-Christians, that has the ability to, to warp, to derail, to trap, is bitterness and unforgiveness. And so this morning, that's what I really want to look at. It's not a, I want to warn you, it's not necessarily an easy, I love, I love to fire us up, I love to get us encouraged. But there's sometimes we have to take stock of the things that hinder the move of God. Because how many know God's not the problem? Who is? I love somebody said me. Uh, we're getting somewhere. People are starting to take ownership, right? But I don't know about you, not only in Northern Ireland, across the world, but in some circles, holding on to offense is actually sometimes seen as a virtue that should be channeled as a way of giving us strength to, in order to, to give us the drive to move into a career or a calling. Have you ever noticed when, when somebody says, oh, I'll just channel my hurt? Anybody ever heard that before? I will channel my hurt. What has happened to me, I will channel it to make me you know, do better in life. The doing better in life is great, but how many know the channeling of the bitterness and the offense isn't? In fact, bitterness will always be justifiable to the bitter. Bitterness, offense, will always be justifiable to those who are living in offense. Because we'll have a rationale, we'll have a logic behind why we have the right to be offended. Anybody here got offended and then started to justify why you, it's okay for you to be offended? Or is that just me? Do I need you all to do group therapy on me? <laughs> right? And there will always be, we will always justify the offense that we have by placing the blame on somebody else. What was that? Of course. But what we don't realize is we're actually given those we're blaming power over our lives. A bitter person, an offended person is a powerless person. And I believe not only when we take communion, not only when we come to the table of Christ, he wants to reinstate our power. Because not only has he come to set the captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted, what does that look like? That means we come into a place where we've lost power and the vices in our lives that have removed power, God wants to heal, deliver, and restore so that you are reinstated to a place of power. During, during lockdown, I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? It's like, that's the boat that you wave, bye-bye, I never want to see you again, right? But during lockdown, it was really interesting. It was a season, I mean, there was different, people got different things out of it. One of the things for me, I really, looking back on, noticed that the Lord began, to, he taught me a lot of things, but one of the things that I noticed that in a, in a, in a time of restriction, in a time of loss, and a time of lack, for a lot of us, that looked in different ways for different people. 
But for me, one of the things I, I look back, I, I watched what God taught me in life was how to be thankful. In a time where, I, where there was restriction, in a time where I was having lack and loss, God was teaching me how to increase the virtue of thankfulness in my life. It seems a bit of like a paradox, doesn't it? But that's one of my favorite virtues is, is thanks, thankfulness. Now, my favorite is, is mercy. I think we all need mercy, right? Because one of the reasons that thankfulness is, is one of my favorite is because it has the potential to insulate a person. It has the potential to protect a person's mind and heart from becoming better. You see, it helps focus our minds. It helps us focus on our hearts, on, on the things that are fruitful, rather than walking down a path that is sour. Now, you might be here and you love sour sweets. I don't. Does anybody do, when you eat a sour sweet, it does that, like, jaw tingling thing, and you like, you, know, you have that thing, like, no, nah, I'm not eating that again. And then you have more, right? It's like this weird thing. I don't know why, but I'm not, not here to, to demonize uh, sour sweets, but I am in some ways as well, right? But bitterness is this belief that I am owed something. Where thankfulness is, is accepting what I do have and knows that I'm owed nothing because Jesus knows all my needs and will meet them. Now, it doesn't mean that we never seek to have our needs met, but it does ensure that a bitter root doesn't become formed in us. That in the, our heart of hearts, there's a root, there's a system that begins to take bay in our hearts that is bitter, that is sour in nature. And a thankfulness that I've discovered helps keep a person free. Now, remember, it doesn't set a person free because you can't be thankful when really you're bitter and root. You've got to deal. Thankfulness is a, a, is a fruit of something and a, and a practice, but it's never the thing that in order up your roots. That is, that is a conversation for a different time. But a thankfulness can keep a person free or insulate a person. Bitterness is the vice that keeps them trapped. In fact, I'll, I'll, there, there's the Greek word that, you know, uh, the bitterness come, the one of the, I can't remember the passage, so you can, you can correct me on this if, if you remember, but there's, a, there's a, some of the, the Greek translations of the word bitter is the word scandalous, which is where we get the word scandal, right? So you can go look at that another time. I, I just, that was interesting, it came to me. But one of the things, that as, and I, I'm not in this game that long, some of you have been in the game a lot longer than I have, but in my own opinion and, and, and some of the, the training that I went through and some of the you know, the people I've talked to, you know, I'll say this. People come and, and, and ask me, can a Christian have a demon? And I say, that's a very good question. I'm like, I don't know why you would, John Wimber says, I don't know why you would want one because they make for terrible pets. I often say, they make terrible tenants. They overstay their welcome and leave the place a mess, right? That is right. Now, in my own opinion, like I said, in my own training, there, there's, one, there's many things, but there's one thing that I've noticed, not only in our own culture in Northern Ireland, but there's one thing that I've noticed that keeps people open and entrapped to the influence of the demonic, and that's the holding of a grudge. Anybody got a good at holding grudges here? Any gold uh, medal champions in the room, right? But be to, to be specific now, a grudge is, is that idea of, of where we're angry, that idea where, we, where we, there's a sense of that justice, you know, I've got to get justice that cause, or this isn't fair, you know, there has to be equality in something, and, and it's this idea where there, obviously there's loss, and, and there's the fear of losing, but to be specific about it, it's, it's the sense that someone has violated what was within my human right to have, and therefore they must pay for what is owed to me. Sound familiar? 
See, what they'd done was unfair. What they'd done was unjustified. And I want what was due to me. And they got to pay for taking it from me. See, it's not only do we justify the actions of those, and I'm not saying that we justify the actions of those who've wronged us or betrayed us. That's not what I'm saying. It just means we have to be a people that refuse to allow bitterness to have root on the inside of us. That as a result of what they've done, I'm not going to become bitter. You see, the holding of a grudge, the holding of offense, the holding of bitterness can really, I have seen, warp a person's life. It's like the water that gets into the wood soaks in and just warps and can, now, thankfully, it can be changed and rectified. (laughs) I heard it once said that bitterness is murder in nappies. Bitterness is murder in toddler form. Run around causing chaos. And if you want to go to Matthew 5, 21, Jesus speaks about this. And it'll come up on the screen. It says, you've heard it said that those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be danger, in danger of the judgment. He says, Jesus is saying that not only is it the act of committing murder makes someone a murderer, but it's actually what first begins in the heart. And the crazy thing, if I can use a visual demonstration, the crazy thing about unforgiveness and, and, and offense is like if you imagine this is the person I'm offended with, I'm not going to use anybody in this room, okay, because yeah, I don't want you to take it personal. So we'll take it out in this impersonal stand, okay? If this is the person that I am uh, I'm holding unforgiveness with, or I'm bitter with, or I'm offended with. Unforgiveness is like this, okay? This is the person. This is me. I'm the offended person, okay? Because that's quite possible. Unforgiveness is like me setting myself on fire and expecting that person to die from smoke inhalation. Unforgiveness is like me setting myself alight, allowing me to be destroyed by the, by the holding and the harboring of feelings and a belief system and a root system in me, just going, I expect this person to die from smoke inhalation. Now, like I says, it does not mean that we justify and make what this person has done okay. But it does mean I'm not going to allow the sins of another person to control the condition of my heart. That whatever, whether the person is set inside the demonic for a moment, maybe they're just operating in the spirit of stupidity. And they've done something in, in, in flippant and passing and they, they've hurt us or they've betrayed our trust or whatever it may have been. Because how many of you know to, to avoid situations and circumstances and people that are offensive in nature, the only way you're going to avoid that is by going to heaven, right? So I, we have to make a decision as powerful people to go, I'm not going to allow the sins of another person control and dictate the, the trajectory of my life. I'm not going to allow bitterness and offense to take root in my thoughts and in my feelings because I want to be a contributor to those around me. You see, bitterness manifested through anger or loss means I'm holding on to the past. It means I'm holding on to what was because that moment that that person hurt me is in the past. They're probably way off thinking about, you know, booking a holiday for next summer to get away from the rain. Well, I'm the one holding on to to the hurt, to the pain. And what happens is when a person gets bitter, they focus on the past and they do not move into the future. They become stuck. They become trapped. 
And it's why staying offended is one of the vices the enemy uses to keep us from moving forward in life. It's one of the vices that stops you and I becoming solution-oriented influencers to the people around us. A better person cannot be a, a, a problem solver, a solution-oriented positive influencer to those around them, holding on to the past and the sour nature that becomes in them. As I was reflecting on this, I just thought, how do I recognize bitterness and offense in me? And it's really simple. We just have to look for when we're complaining more than we're bringing solutions. Ever find yourself facing a, a situation that is, you know, there's, there's issues or we're facing a situation that's out of, out of our power control and we complain a lot? Any, anybody willing to say they complain? Oh, yes, I've got some. When we complain more rather than bringing solutions, we're operating in a root of bitterness. And as people, to, to, to get to a point is, is as a people, as a, as, a, as a body of believers who, what I love about Journey and what I love about the way we do communion is there's so many people here from different, you know, church upbringings, backgrounds, and it's not about, you know, a different denomination and, and you have to be, you know, a, come from a different churchmanship in order to partake in that communion. But for us, it's, it's a, a cross community. It's a, it's a community of people from different sides, if you like, that we, 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 we adopt a space and an environment where you can come as you are. And what I love about being a people that, that because remember, we, we're not only just individuals, as we've spoke about, you can catch up on it. I don't want to repeat a lot. But as people who are, are dwelling places individually for the Spirit of God to come, but as in this series, we're talking about being a, a corporate people where we have an opportunity like the saints of old, to, to create a space where God comes and dwells among us collectively. The communion isn't just an isolated place where we come to the table, big banquet feast by ourselves. Communion is about the people at the table and the one who is at the head, inviting all people to come as they are. And as a people who seek to minister to the Lord, to create that space and then obey as he wants to come, creating new spaces where he wants to come and inhabit, we're actually seeing his redemptive presence come. But remember, you can't see that happen while you're still offended. Okay, I'll go this way. Because you seem like you're thinking. We're commanded, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Ephesians 4, 26 is, be angry. You're allowed to be angry, but sin not. So we can't use that which frustrates us to justify why we sin, right? So that's a given. But the command is, do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, we refuse to be people who let a day go by where we're holding on to offense, to, to bitterness, okay? We are rem the, the excuse for you and I to hold on to something is removed immediately, okay? So you can take it up with Jesus, right? But we're going somewhere. It means that if we don't let the sun go down on our anger, which he talks about, you know, it's the, the passing of a 24-hour period, the day, don't go to sleep on your anger. It means I start off my day, I wake up with a mindset. I'm going to choose to live today to be a person who's not going to get offended. Before I come across someone who's operating spectacularly well in the spirit of stupidity, or whatever may come, before I even get there, I am making a conscious decision when I wake up 
you're all laughing because you're thinking about people, right? You're just, I can see it in the room, you're going, oh, before I go to work or I do this and I, that, that's coming to mind, right? Or maybe before you meet me, right? Just being, you know, so we're all on the same page. Before I come across any situation, I wake up, I arise and go, his mercies are new every day, so guess what? I also have to have new mercies every day. <gasps> that's good. That's not in my notes, but that must have been the Lord right there. That is good. Anyways, that was definitely the Lord. That was not me. You've been here long enough to know that wasn't me. See, I forgot my place. I wake up. Don't laugh, you'll encourage me. I wake up with this mindset. I am choosing to not be offended, okay? Now, it doesn't mean that we be a doormat. It doesn't mean that we, you know, allow people to walk over us and we go, yes, and we, you know, we, we just become that big long rug in the front entrance of your hallway. No, it means that I am going to refuse to allow offense and bitterness to take up residence in my heart, okay? Then, by the end of the day, when I've gone through what I've gone through and I have experienced frustration, loss, or whatever it may be, the pains and the hurts, I will strive to go to sleep at peace with every one of those around me. I wake up choosing I'm not going to be an offended person and then I go to sleep and I decide I'm going to be at peace with everyone around me. That is a decision that you and I have to make because we can't afford not to. Here's why. Because the moment we go to sleep, when we actually go into a place of, of you know, we go into the sleep state and we go into our subconscious reality and, our, and I'm not going to go into the whole, whole thing here, but you know, that, that sleep-week cycle where, where things get laid down and, and the imprinted in your mind throughout the day, if we go into that place, those, those hurts, those bitterness, those negative emotions, they get set down on the inside of us and they therefore then begin to affect our thinking and our personality. You see, the longer we leave it, the more it festers and the more it begins to shape me. The more sleep week cycles, the more days that pass by where I haven't dealt with something, the more it begins to fester, the more it begins to derive, and the more it begins to affect my thoughts and my actions. People who decide I'm not going to be bitter from this moment forward, those people who decide I'm not going to be offended, they decide in the power and through self-control, but the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to allow Him to do something in me, and this day forward, I'm going to help allow him to do something that keeps me from being bitter. It's a decision where I go, I'm going to take back personal power under the power of God, the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in me. Remember, bitterness is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Offense is definitely not a fruit of the Holy Spirit, okay? I'll say this. Say in this room, there were two of you who had an outstanding bank loan, one of 40,000 and one of 5,000. And all of a sudden, a debt charity comes along and says, do you know what? I'm going to wipe both of your debts clean. I'm going to forgive both of your debts. 40,000, 5,000. Out of those two people, who do you think is going to be the most uh, grateful and most loving? It's not a trick question. For, uh, but we'll not, the, one, the one who's been forgiven the most, it's really simple. We, you know, when I ask that, you go, we start thinking of all of the, you know, the, the background, right? The one who's been forgiven the most debt is the one who will be more gracious, but also the one who will be extending more love. See, Scripture says those who have been forgiven a lot 
will love a lot. But those who have forgiven little will love little. An offended person fails to, remem- fails to live a life remembering how much they've already been forgiven for. I will remain to be offended and hold on to bitterness when I'm forgetting how much Jesus has already forgiven me for. The times he's already let me off the hook. Now, I'm not just talking about the, the conscious reality where Jesus has forgiven all of our sins because that is true outside of time. But there's a moment where we are forgiven the hold that sin has had on our lives. We forget those moments where God himself has set us free. Those who have been forgiven a lot, those whose debt has been cleaned a lot and experienced that will then love a lot. You see, I remember, we remember how much Jesus has forgiven us for and then we thank him. We cannot be helped to be people that actually extend forgiveness. It's the virtue of mercy. You see, bitterness and offense take root. They just, when they take root in our hearts, they begin to distort our perception on life. When the root of bitterness begins to take, you know, depth in our heart, our perception of our minds begin to become bitter or begin to be uh, distorted, sorry. And as it festers, it causes us to focus more on ourselves than on others. It means we become takers rather than contributors. And ultimately, in this context of, of creating a corporate dwelling place for God, is we approach every worship setting and every church setting with a consumer mindset. That didn't work. This isn't good. Now, some of the critiques might be right. But like I said, if we're talking more about the problems than offering of solutions, we're operating in a place of bitterness. If I look at other churches, because I'm going to be personal. If I look at other churches, they go, well, they don't do that, right? If only did that, they would reach a modern day culture. If only did this, right? I find that living a life of offense will keep you from being able to enter into deeper levels of the presence of God. Matthew 5, 23, it goes on to say, therefore, if you bring a gift to the altar, it should come up on the screen, and there at that place, you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. So first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift to God. See, agree with your adversary quickly while you're still on your way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and then you'll be thrown into prison. And surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there, get out of your trap until you've paid every last penny. How many of you know forgiveness isn't cheap and freedom isn't free? I wish it was. But God's not a sky fairy that just goes... Forgiveness isn't cheap and freedom isn't free. You see, something has to die in order for life to flow. We cannot forgive in part. We have to let go fully. I forgive you. You know, bitterness is sly. It's sneaky, it's deceitful. We need to let go of our desire to be right. In fact, we need to desire, we need to let go of our desire for revenge. Anybody get happy when you see somebody else feel? We wouldn't do that, would we? 
when we come, and that's what Jesus is saying, when we come to Sunday mornings or, or any time we gather, or two or three, I'm not just going to limit to a Sunday morning. When we come to minister to God, we come to create space we, where we offer that thanksgiving and that praise, not about our own agenda. We just come to worship him. Regardless of our feeling, we come to worship him. And we suddenly then remember by the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we're keeping a offense in our heart. He tells us we need to leave the offering of thanks and praise where, uh, that we're given and settle the offense in our heart. The Holy Spirit will be very good at convicting you. Can I tell you something? It's not our jobs to convict each other. It's not our jobs, because that's the Holy Spirit's job. It's not our job to, to call out everybody's disability. It's to call out their ability and allow God to then deal. We're not, this isn't me giving you permission to create a shame culture. We are here to create a prophetic culture that calls out the gold in each other. Because guess what? When you create a culture that is about creating, calling out the gold in each other, I was talking to an engineer. I'm going to do this. I was talking to an engineer yesterday. Man, they're smart people. But this guy's not your typical engineer. Like, he doesn't just look at black and white. He's like, he wears his heart in his sleeve. I go, wow, you're like a well-rounded person right now. You know? Was man crushing on a bit. But he was telling me, he, he, uh, his job is to, is to go around to the, the city banks and he, I lost a bit of what he was doing, so I'm sort of paraphrasing a bit. But essentially his job is to uh, work with the coding or work with some tacky thing that makes, makes them recognize uh, authentic banknotes. And he says to me, we, we actually don't look at getting the machines to spot counterfeits. We get them to spot authenticity. So when we create, and here's my point, when we create an environment that is all by calling the gold out in each other, guess what begins to not be wanted anymore? It's the counterfeit. When we begin to have spaces where we, we celebrate the fruits of the Holy Spirit, guess what nobody wants? The fruit of bitterness. So when you begin to go, this is the tree of life that you could be experiencing, instead of going, you have the root of bitterness in you, when we call out the gold, all of a sudden, when we look at ourselves, because the Holy Spirit's very good at showing us, we all of a sudden go, I don't want this anymore. Sounded better in my head, Okay. But when God is telling us to, to leave the offering of thanksgiving and praise at the altar and go sort out your stuff, he isn't saying your offense is making you unworthy to come to my throne because he'd taken care of that 2,000 years ago. But what he's saying is you will never fully be able to enter into my presence because you're holding on to something else. How many of you know you can't fully behold the Lord when holding on to a grudge? You cannot fully worship the Lord with one eye while blaming everybody else with the other. So the moment we realize that we have a fence in our heart, we can either do one of two things. One, we can go deal with it. Sometimes if the person's not about, you can deal with it in that moment of prayer or that moment with, you know, someone else in the room that can, you can trust and, and can lead you competently to those places of forgiving, right? So we can either do that or we can block out the issue, we can justify the issue, we can use all sorts of rationale, and we can begin to bury it and then use our worship as a, as a place or a mechanism of escape. I worship you, Lord. I'm just going to press in the worship. We're burying the issue, we're burying the issue, and all of a sudden we use our worship as a mechanisms of escape. But how many know our worship sense aren't supposed to be the time to escape? They're supposed to be a time to thank and praise God. 
And so Jesus is telling us, I want your praise so much. And actually, it's better for you that actually you would settle. You would take a moment of coming out of my presence and settle that account so that you can fully enter in better. Best illustrated, without repeating too much, is last week when we read about the story in, in 2 Samuel 6, I think, if I've got that right, you can, you can check or you correct me, but where, where David danced undignified as he brought the, the, the Ark of the Covenant into the center of, of the city of David, as to the center of his private and, and, and uh, public life, as we read that story, and as he danced undignified before the Lord, as he worshiped God with all his might, is what it says, there was a Michal in the wings who was, it says, despised him in her heart. Now, that was obviously because about how David was t- uh, taken over as king th- th- from her father Saul. So there was, a, there was an offense in her heart and she tried to shame him. You can go read that. And again, I don't want to um, repeat too much. But ultimately, it was Michal's offense in her heart that it stopped her from accessing the freedom that David had. And I want to say it like this. To be a worshiper at heart doesn't just mean that we, we, we dance passionately, we worship God uh, passionately passionately before God. To be a worshiper at heart means that we be someone that refuses to allow the offense and bitterness to take the place where our worship should be. To be an unoffended and an unbitter and a forgiving person means I'm going to make a ruthless decision in my life, in my heart, that I'm not going to allow offense and bitterness to take the place where my worship of God should be. That's what we are called to be. And if we want to be a corporate dwelling where God comes, we collectively need to go after our sins seriously. That in our evangelical, you know, Western words, we don't really talk about sin. But can I tell you something? Repentance is a gift from God. And when we begin to create an honoring culture instead of a shame one, all of a sudden we begin to see a repentant culture created. Because you know what? You can repent before God regardless of who's around, and I will applaud that. Because remember, Jesus came not for the, he came for the sick. He came for those who are in need of physician, which is really him, you know. So like we said, it's the ministering to the Lord that sets every other ministry right. It's the ministering to the Lord that, that what we do in our jobs and our callings, whatever he has us do for him, when we, we come to ministering to him after we've dealt with our offense and then come to minute, it sets everything else right. When we settle our offense and then come back to the altar and give him back our offering, then we become more open to the movements of the Holy Spirit in the room. An offended person that all of their time, attention, and energy is focusing on harboring unforgiveness cannot be someone who then has the freedom to be open to the movements of the Holy Spirit in a room, in an environment. Do you know it's hard to be an obedient person and a bitter person? Because you're going to be looking to the past to get revenge instead of being open to go, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in me? And what do you want to do in this moment? So when we do that, we then receive the power and the grace to do whatever he's asking us for. Because as offense and bitterness traps us, the presence and power of God empowers us. Like I says, a bitter person is not only emotionally powerless, but also spiritually powerless when they have access to it all already. So if I can put it like this, if thankfulness, back to that virtue, if thankfulness accepts what we've been given, where bitterness focuses on what we didn't have, I believe that thankfulness and is, a, is a, a really powerful way to keep us in the power of God. A thankful person looking to what we do have can keep us in to the power and movements of God. 
Paul says it best in Romans 15. It'll come up on screen. He said, listen to this. Therefore, I have reason to glorify in Christ Jesus in the thing which, things which pertain to God. For I will dare, I'll underline this, for I will not dare to speak of anything of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. That as we thank God for what he's given us, as we thank God for what he's done, we refuse to hold God ransom for what he didn't do. An unoffended and unbitter person will never hold God ransom for what he didn't do in our lives. And in fact, they will embrace the mystery of who he is. That he is God and we're not. And he sees things. We only see things. What does scripture say? We only see things in part, but he sees things in the bigger picture. And what we see is we see Paul's embracing of the mystery and the refusal to allow bitterness to take root in his heart that ultimately kept him walking in the power of God. And then verse 19 in the same uh, chapter 15 says, it then went on to say, Paul then in mighty signs, wonders, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and around Ereklam have fully preached the gospel. You can't fully preach the gospel while being offended and bitter. So if I can really start to summarize like this, and hopefully you get the point, the best way to live life is just to live unoffended. If that's the sentence that you just take away from the day, the best way to live life is just to live unoffended. Not only does it renew your sense of power, it actually just allows you to sleep better at night. Anybody want a better night's sleep? Okay, well then hopefully, some of you are like, no, I like staying up late, no. There you go. See, like I said, none of us can avoid circumstances or situations that are not offensive in nature. You have to go to heaven for that. But Proverbs 19 in its wisdom says, yes, it makes good sense uh, for one to be slow to anger, but it's his glory to overlook an offense. It's the decision, I'm going to live an unoffendable life, but guess what? I'm going to choose to give up my right to be offended. It's a decision, I'm going to choose to give up my right to be unoffended. I'm deciding within me, and it's a heart decision, that I'm going to forgive, I'm going to let go, I'm not going to justify what they did. I might need to create boundaries from the be away of that person. Because remember, fill me once, shame on me, fill me twice. Fill me once, shame on you. Fill me twice, shame on me. You don't, don't, I'm not justifying staying in abusive or uh, toxic relationships. That's not what I'm saying at all. But it requires a daily decision. It actually requires to create a culture of the heart. And I believe it's a, it's a choice to live a life of repentance. And like I says, in our evangelical cultures, we don't like talking about repentance. But I really felt as I was praying this week, the Lord was like, no, I want you to recapture joyful repentance. Now, if you know what repentance is, it ain't joyful at all, right? But there's something where the joy of the Lord is our strength, regardless of what's going on. When we begin to coming in, where he's not coming to shame us, remember, there is no condemnation for those here in Christ Jesus, but those, for those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God doesn't condemn you, God doesn't shame you, but by the power of his Holy Spirit, he wants to change you. If I can invite the band up, because definitely we're long, far too long. And I'll finish with this. If you want to stand. I remember, I'm so thankful that I have very wise people around me. I'm very thankful that I have people who've been around the block more than I have. 
But I'm very thankful most of all that I have people around me who will call me out, who will challenge me when I have sin in my life. And I have an experience where um, someone who's been speaking into my life for a while, and she, I, I, was, I was just processing, and I was saying, I was contending with something. I was, there was something on the inside of me that, that wasn't sitting right, and it was with a, a significant relationship in my life. And I was really, I just kept going back on these loops and these cycles. And I realized I had unforgiveness. I had a root of bitterness. But ultimately, I was sinning because I was desiring to get revenge. I kept going back, but what they did to me was not okay. It wasn't justifiable. It wasn't right. No, no child should have, went, should have went to go through that. And I was going back to these psychological revenge moments, these roots of bitterness. Man, I had an oak. You know why some, they say like oaks of righteousness? I had the trees of bitterness. And in that moment, as I threw only the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm glad that we do communion because it invites us in to the power of the Holy Spirit. In that moment, I, I was able to, it wasn't just a moment, there was a process, mind you. In that, in that, that time, where I was able, I, I, only by the grace of God, I forgave and I let go and I pulled out the root of bitterness in my life that was in there. I was like, I was pulling you know, like the, the thing up your sleeve. I was doing that. And I had to let go and I had to accept what was going on. And I couldn't change it. Even though that person might have violated something in me, I surrendered to the, to the power of God and I love them even though they didn't love me, right? And see, when I did that, all I can describe, and this is my human language, but the power of God that came upon me in that moment, I mean, all I can say from my head to my toe, I did this without even realizing that it was like, you're a God because he had mercy on me see from that moment he's been teaching me what it looks like to extend that mercy and if we want to see revival in our communities we have to come and receive his mercy the help to let go and then to extend that mercy so if the Holy Spirit in the midst of what has been said this morning has revealed something to you I'm not here to condemn you he isn't either but we need to deal with that so I'm not really going to invite the ministry team there has to be a decision that we make that we're going to let go of the past we're going to move in but in order to do that we maybe need to come to the altar and say God can you give me mercy can you pour out your power upon me so that I can extend this mercy can you forgive me of the debt that's in here clear it by the power of your spirit so that I can love more freely Love isn't free either, really. It's a choice. So I'm going to invite you, as the guys lead us in the last song, I know we've had over time, not by too long, but I want to invite you to come and make a decision in you this morning. It says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to forgive. Or at least come and make the first steps. And it requires you to leave your seat. And just come and we're just going to create a space where we're going to ask the power of God to come upon you. So that, because you cannot forgive on your own accord, it costs you something. But remember, he died so that you may have the power to forgive. So Father, this morning, as we choose to lead a repentant life, Holy Spirit, I pray, would you come upon us this morning as we make a step forward, as people make a step forward this morning. If there's anything in your heart 
and you want to come now, come forward and make that deal with God. I'm choosing to repent for this situation. Nobody's going to come and ask you what it is. But Father, as we come and change direction, as we choose to lay down bitterness, to lay down offense, for those who've hurt us, who've wronged us, God, we want to be people of your presence where we would extend your mercies that are new for us every day. And God, that we would see the power of you working in our lives. Regardless of how big or how small it may be, God, will we make steps this morning? And maybe if there's nothing that you have been revealed to you, then, and you want to walk in that way of God doing a work in you then I would also invite you to come and come forward and God that courage would be what we would choose this morning that regardless of how we feel whether we feel condemnation or shame God that we would we get to come to your table this morning knowing that that isn't what you're giving us There's forgiveness at the table. There's mercy at his table. He's not angry at you. He's not condemning you. But God, we get to come and feast in your mercy and of your grace this morning. Father, forgive us for where we've held on to unforgiveness, where we have allowed bitterness to take root. You're not here to say that's, that's your fault. No, God, you're here to meet us where we're at. You declared it 2,000 years ago, you're Emmanuel, God, who comes and is with us. God, as we choose to lay down our offenses, God, I thank you for those who came. God, we just pray a blessing. And if there's anything else, as these guys begin to finish us a song, the minister team will then come. And if there's anything you want prayer for, they, they will happily pray for you. Thank you.